We are going to continue our series entitled Living with the Benjamins because all of us have hundreds and hundreds of dollars passing through our fingers all the time. All of us has hundreds of these Benjamins moving through our lives at all the time. And what we've been talking about and thinking about over the last few weeks is how can we live at peace with the Benjamins? How can we live peacefully with these hundreds of dollars passing through our fingers all the time? We've been looking at some wonderful passages of Scripture that have shaped our thinking as it relates to living with the Benjamins. I just want to say thanks to those of you that have called me and emailed me and said, hey, this is what God has been teaching me about finances, and I'm thankful that we can talk about this at the church because sometimes this is hard to talk about. You know, talking about money in church is sometimes complicated, sometimes uh, uncomfortable. I'm just glad that we can create a space where we can talk about living with the Benjamins and opening up, being, uh, opening up God's Word to hear what God has to say to us so we can live at peace with the Benjamins. And this morning, I just want to start out with two questions. And the two questions are this. What's the best financial advice you've ever received? And then, did you do it? What's the best financial advice that you've ever received? And then did you act upon that advice? Okay, do you have that advice, the best financial advice you ever got? Okay, I'd love for you to turn to someone that you don't know very well and tell them the best financial advice you've ever received and then if you did it. All right, go ahead and do that now. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of good advice being shared amongst you as you are thinking about and sharing about the best financial advice that you've ever received. And I'm sure there are a couple of themes out there. Anybody have advice related to investing, investing your money? Anybody have advice like buy low, sell high? Anybody have that one out there? Okay. Anybody have advice related to debt? Like don't get into debt. Anybody have any debt advice? That was my father's advice. He gave it to me a little bit late. I just happened to graduate from college with a whole lot of debt. But uh, that's good advice uh, related to to that. Anybody have any advice uh, related to spending? Like don't spend more than you earn. Anybody have that that advice? That's a good little tip of advice. Um, I I, I heard some very good advice. Uh, Anybody do the advice? Let's just see that. Let me raise your hand if you actually did the advice that that you received. Okay, very good. Well done. That's great. I... um, I uh, received some advice, some, some teaching this summer on, uh, on finances from Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. And there's a lot of great principles that he shared right here at our church. We did a series. We're going to do it again, uh, a smaller version in January. But one of the pieces of advice, one of the principles that he gave us was to give every dollar a name before it's spent. I like that advice. Christina thinks it's kind of funny. Give every dollar a name before it's spent. I mean, give it a name, create a plan, have an idea so that when you come to the end of the month, you don't talk to your spouse or your family and you don't say to yourselves, where'd all that money go? You know, I know I had something coming in, not really sure where it went. So create a plan. Give every dollar a name at the beginning of the month before any dollar is spent. That's good advice. That's helpful advice. It's not just planning, it's prioritizing where your money goes. It's creating values for this is what's important to me and this is where I want to spend the money that God's entrusted to me. See, we started off this series a few weeks ago and we basically said there's five things you can do with your money. You remember that? There's five basic things you can do with your money. You can spend it. You can get out of debt. You can pay taxes. You can save it and you can give it away. Five basic general things we can do with our money. And there's there's an order there. There's a priority there. And the first priority is basically me. 
You know, I'm going to spend it on me. I'm going to pay down debt on stuff that was for me. You know, taxes is, is a little bit of the we, you know, the good old United States of America. Save it could be for me or for others, and then give it away is for others. And there's this general priority. It's kind of me and, and we and a little bit for others. And we kind of, whatever's left over after we spend it on ourselves, we give it away. And what we talked about a few weeks ago, what we've been talking about ever since there is a time maybe to reverse the order of priority. That after we've looked at the, the widow's might and we learned that everything we have belongs to God, that everything we own is actually on loan, that maybe we should reverse the order and, and give first and maybe save second and then spend the rest. And after we, we learned last week that it's more blessed, it's, it's, it's happier to give than it is to receive. It's a more fulfilled life to give away. Maybe we should reverse the order. Maybe we should give first, save second, and live on the rest. And that's what we've been talking about, that, that, that maybe we can store up treasures in heaven. We can use our worldly wealth for eternal gains. We can live for the lion instead of the dot. And we've been talking about this and, and, and processing this and learning to reverse this order to give first, save second, and live on the rest. And it's been a fantastic conversation. And one of the questions that we want to answer this morning is simply this. How much are we to give? I mean, if really God's priorities are give first, save second, live on the rest, how much are we to give? That's the question that we want to talk about this morning. And I just want to say up front, there's no formula. There's no real quick answer. But there are some wonderful principles in the Scriptures that we can apply to our finances. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, page 950 in your pew Bible, there are some wonderful truths about who God is and how we are to utilize His resources well. We're going old school. We're going Old Testament, Malachi or Malachi if you're Italian. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to learn another principle for living at peace with the Benjamins. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I do not change. God does not change. He is the everlasting God. The song that we sang just earlier, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God, both the Old and the New Testament. And why are the people not destroyed? Because God does not change. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He is a God of mercy and forgiveness. He gives us what we need the most, but, but deserve the least. Grace. He's a God of grace, and because He's this God of grace, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the people are not destroyed. And then Malachi says, verse 7, he says this, he says, you're always turning away from me. 7a, I'm sorry, he says this, ever since the time of your fathers, you have been, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. He says, you're always turning away from me, you and your fathers and your grandparents and your mothers, you and your whole family, you're always turning away from me, you're always drifting away from me and my commands. You haven't kept them. See, earlier in the book of Malachi, we read about how God's people brought their sacrifices to the temple, but they didn't bring them God's way. They didn't follow the commands and the decrees of Scripture. They didn't bring their best lambs. They didn't bring their best goats. They didn't bring their best sacrifices. They gave their leftovers. 
They gave the scrawny lambs. They gave the crippled lambs. They gave the three-legged lambs. I mean, the, 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 the ones that, that didn't have a lot of value. The ones that they didn't even want to eat or give to a neighbor. They gave their last fruit, not their first fruit. They didn't give their best to God. They, they still gave. They still gave their resources to God, but they didn't follow God's way. So God says to them, he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me, and I will return to be Turn back to me, and I will return to you. This is a principle found throughout the Scriptures. The book of James, it says this way, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The principle is simply this. You're as close to God as you choose to be. You're as close to God as you choose to be. If you turn to Him, if you return to Him, He's always there to turn towards you. So if you find yourself drifting away from God, all you have to do is turn. Why? God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's the same today as he was back then. He's always ready to turn, to to return back to us. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He is gracious and compassionate. He's quick to forgive all those who turn back to him. He's the same yesterday, forever, and today. Today, God is ready to respond to your turning back to him. Today, God is ready to turn towards you. So, so when, when you move in God's direction, God always, always, always moves in yours. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. All we have to do is turn. But you ask, how are we to return? That's a great question. How are we to return back to God? It's a great question. How are we to turn and reconnect our lives to God, particularly if we see ourselves drifting away from God? How are we to return? Well, God gives a very specific answer to the people. In this context, he says to them in verse 8, Will a man rob God, and yet you rob me? And you ask, how do we rob God? That's an interesting question. How do we rob God? Well, he gives the answer, in tithes and offerings. See, tithes and offering was a practice that was established all the way back in the book of Genesis. When Abraham received a bounty, he gave a tenth a tithe to the priest. And this was the pattern that was established all the way back with Abraham in the book of Genesis as a way to express their faith in God. They gave a tenth of their resources back to God. It's a practical way to show your faith to God. And, and since that time in Genesis, this practice of giving a tithe and an offering to the Lord has been developed. At this point, the nation of Israel gave 10% right off the top to the sacrificial system, to the temple, for the lambs and the goats. And, and, and they gave some of that money to the needs to the poor, but they gave a tenth, a 10%, a tithe right off the top to the sacrificial system. Now, you may not know this, but they also gave a second tithe to this annual feast that they had. So there wasn't just a first tithe, there was this second tithe for this national feast that they have every year to honor and worship and adore God. There was this second tithe, and and there's some other offerings, but God was basically saying to his people in this context is that you're robbing me. 
You're not bringing your tenth, your tithe to the storehouse, to this, to me. You're not giving me your best. I've invited you to express your trust in me by giving me your first fruits, by giving me a tenth, by giving me your best, but you're just giving these scrawny leftover lambs. You haven't been giving me your best. I'm no longer a priority in your life. And because of that, God says, verse 9, you're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Now, this is a little bit strange. You're under a curse. We don't usually use that language today. But you're under a curse refers to this interaction, this relationship that God had with his people. started with Moses. Because if you remember, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12, God sets up this relationship with Moses and the people of God. It says, if you honor me, I will honor you. If you put me first, I will bless you. If I'm your greatest treasure, highest pleasure, if I'm number one, if I'm your priority, I'm going to bless you with with victory and war. I'm going to bless you with food. I'm going to bless your babies. I'm going to help you grow. And all the nations around the world are going to look at you and say, they are blessed by an awesome God. But if you don't obey me, if you don't put me first, if I'm not your highest priority, then you're you're going to experience this curse. You're going to miss out on my peace and presence in your life, there'll be an absence of God's activity in your life. And although the people of God are under this curse, feeling distant from God, God says, you can return to me. You can turn at any point. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can always turn to me, and I'll respond to you. You can turn to me, and here's how you can return. Verse 10 says this, bring the whole tithe to me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe, not the leftovers, not just what's, not just the scrawny lambs, not, not just a part, but bring the whole. Bring the whole tithe into the temple. Bring the entire 10% into the temple. Don't bring a part. Don't bring a whole. God, and then God does something I think is just truly beautiful. In, in verse 10, he says this, test me in this says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. Try me in this. God says to his people, I dare you. I double dog dare you. I dare you to give me a percentage of your income to reflect your trust in me. I dare you to move towards me because if you move towards me, I'm going to move towards you. He says, I dare you. I dare you to bring this tithe into my storehouse because if you move towards me, you open up the door to my activity in your life. And this is how God moves towards us. This is his movement towards us. He says, if you give me your your percentage of your income in a systematic way, I'm going to move towards you. And this is what he says, verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He says, I'll provide for you. I'll provide food to eat. All the nations will be will, will call you blessed because you expressed your faith, your trust in me to provide for your needs. So it really comes down to a choice. Do we trust God 
or do we trust ourselves? See, God says, if you trust me and you put me first in the area of your finances, then I'm going to take care of you. But if you trust yourself, then you are going to take care of you. It's a matter of trust. Is God a God that we can trust with our money? See, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, forever, and today. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He is extremely generous. He, he gave us his one and only son. And when we move towards God, he moves towards us. When we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And when we put God first in any area of our lives, we open up the door to God's activity in our lives. See, that's the principle. That's a principle that applies to any and every area of our lives, especially our finances. When we put God first in any area of our lives, we open up the door to God's activity in our lives. Think about your business or think about school. In your business, if you don't lie, if you don't steal, if you don't cheat, if you work hard, if you treat other people well, you open up the door to God's activity in your life because you're doing things God's way. And then that opens up the door to God's activity. And I think about your marriage. If, if, if you don't commit adultery, if you don't lust, if you speak highly of your spouse, if you sacrifice yourself for the sake of your spouse, you open up the door to God's activity in your life. Think about parenting. If you don't exasperate your children, if you come alongside them, if you listen to them, if you love them, if you pray for them, it, it, you open up the door to God's activity in your parenting, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your business. If you put God's first, if you do think God's way, you open up the door to God's activity in your life. And that's the principle that works in any area of our lives. But Paul, or what, what, what we're reading this morning is that it re relates to our finances. That when we put God first, when we give generously, when we return a portion of our resources back to God, we open up the door for the floodgates of heaven to shower upon us. That there will be so much that we can't even contain all the blessings of God. See, when we move in God's direction, God always, always, always moves towards us. And we experience His peace. And we experience His presence in our lives. And the question that God asks each one of us is this. Test me in this. Try me. I dare you. I dare you to return a percentage of your income back to me as a way of expressing your trust in me and then watch me work in your life, in your finances. Now, I've always been a sucker for a dare. I don't know about you, but I've always been a sucker for a dare. Ever since I was in junior high playing truth or dare, I always wanted the dare. Because there's something about the dare that's challenging. There's something about a dare that's exciting. And so when God says to me, I dare you to return a portion of your income back to me, I said yes. And the first time I started doing this was, was just out of college. I had my first job. And I was working in Chicago. And I was living among the poor and trying to help refugees resettle into a new life in the United States of America. And I was making about $13,000 a year. And I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money to pay long distance to talk to my girlfriend at the time. And, and we were barely, I was barely making ends meet. And yet I went to a, a church and I heard a message similar to this one. And I heard this dare to return to God a portion of my income. Now, I was given at the time. 
I mean, I was given some money. I was given some of my time. I was serving God to try to help refugees, you know, re- you know return to a normal life in America. I says, well, I don't need to give. I'm doing these other things. But then I heard this dare to, to return to God a portion of my income. So I said, I like a dare. I'll try it. And so I did. And I started giving systematically a percentage of my income back to God. And then that infiltrated into my marriage. And now we have continued that process of giving a, por- a percentage of our income back to God starting with 10% and then growing and growing. I tell you, there's so much joy. There's so much peace in doing our finances God's way because when we move towards God, God always moves towards us. We open up the door to God's blessing, God's presence in our lives, particularly in our finances because you know how money is. It's so close to our hearts. And God says, I don't want your money, I want your heart, but this is a way to express your love and devotion to me. Now, I'm not the only one. You know, it was just about a year ago, our leaders got together and we were praying and fasting and talking about finances at our church. And our leaders uh, uh, came together and they made a giving commitment. And I'd just like you to read this giving commitment. I'd just like to read the giving commitment. It's actually in your program and it's going to be on the screen in a minute. But after praying and fasting and, and studying God's word, our leadership team made this commitment. This is the giving commitment of Maple Grove Covenant Church. As leaders... Of Maple Grove coming to church, we follow the biblical example of giving cheerfully, generously, and at times sacrificially to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to be talking more about that next week. Because we believe that giving at least 10% of our gross income is normal and natural. Malachi 3, Matthew 23. We also believe that Jesus was right when he said it's better to give than to receive. Acts 20, we talked about that last week. We look forward to expressing the joy of giving generously together as a faith community and the leaders both last year and this year made this commitment to give and over this past week i emailed our leaders and i asked them how's it going how's it going in your giving commitment i'd like you to read i'd like to read to you some of their responses one of the questions i asked them is when did you start giving 10 percent of your gross income back to god and one of the leaders said this when i was about 10 years old that's when he started giving 10 percent of his gross income back to god i thought that was pretty cool most, most of the leaders said, when I got married, you know, right out of college, I started giving. Uh, one leader said, last year, like I was giving to the Lord, I was giving out of my net, but then to give out of the gross is a little bit different. And what that indicates is that we're all in a process. We're all learning this thing together. There's no one, you know, farther ahead or farther behind. We're just learning how to give generously. Next question I said, was it ever hard to give to the Lord? And, and a few people said, yes, it's been totally difficult. You know, we've had financially tough times and it's even more difficult when we get more income because we've got more opportunities to buy stuff. And we've all been tempted, they said, just to consume instead of give. One person said, no, you know, I, I love it. It's a habit. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Uh, then I asked the question, why do you give? And there's a variety of different answers. Some people said obedience. Others said just discipline. Others said gratitude out of all the blessings that I've received. One person said, joy. You know, I really enjoy it. One person said, because it's the truth. It's all God's. I'm returning to him what is his. So why not do God's, do what God wants with God's resources? I'm a manager, not an owner. And then I love this answer to the question, why do I give? One person said, for my own good. That's kind of selfish when you think. He says, for my own good. I know that God doesn't need my money, but something good happens to me. I'm less prideful. I'm more alive when I give. That's why I give. And then I asked, what's the result of the giving? 
And, and, and many people said, there's freedom, there's joy. One person said, I'm happier when I give. There's this satisfaction of being a part of something bigger than myself. My, my faith is deeper. My trust is bigger. And one person wrote, God is more real, more alive in my life. Because when we move towards God in any area of our lives, God always moves towards us. That's the principle. When we move towards God in our finances, we move towards God in our, in our marriage, in our relationships, when we move towards God in any area of our life, God always moves towards us. And when we put God first in our finances, we open up the door to God's activity in our lives. Because let's just be honest. God already made the first move, right? God already displayed His unlimited love and compassion and grace by sending His Son. He already left the riches of heaven to come to earth. He already left perfect communion with His heavenly Father to die on the cross. He already left total dominion over the universe to go into hell for us to die in our place. He's already made the first move. The question is, will we move towards Him? Will we move towards Him in every area of our lives, but particularly with our finances? God's already made the first move. Will we move towards Him? And I know these are tough financial times. I know these are difficult days for many of us in the area of our resources. And and it's difficult. And it's easy to worry. It's easy to get stressed out. And God knows that. God knows the hair on your heads. God knows the, the dollar amounts in your pocketbook. God knows your needs. And Jesus says to us, He says in in Matthew six thirty one, He says this, so don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them so this is what he says knowing that you can trust him he says this but seek what does it say? seek when? first seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well seek first put God first in every area of life, especially your finances, and watch Him provide for your needs. See, it's time to flip the list. It's time to give first, save second, and live on the rest. It's time to give it away, to, to, to save it, to pay taxes, to pay down stuff, and, and to live on the rest. One of the best pieces of advice that I've heard recently was that phrase, to give every dollar a name before it's spent. And the first name that you give your dollar is give. G-I-V-E. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Just give. Give the resources away. And, and don't just give impulsively. Don't just give randomly. Somehow get the systematic way of giving a percentage of our income back to God. The first thing we do is give. And the second one is to save. It's S-A-V-E, it's saved, because in Proverbs we read, we read that the borrower is servant to the lender. That, 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 that it's dumb to get into too much debt, that as we save our income, we can have this peace, this sense of security. So when tough times come, we have this resource that we can turn to. And I don't know if you ever heard this phrase, particularly you young people, it's, you can Google it when you get home. It's called compounding interest, right? It's this wonderful thing that happens when you save. It just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. It's this wonderful thing that if you give first, 
save second, and then live. Live on the rest. After you give, after you save, then you live. And that might mean making some lifestyle adjustments. That might mean spending less. That might mean maybe buying less resources on clothes or, 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 or cars or things of that nature. But the alternative is to live stressfully, to live with anxiety. And, and I know most of us have heard some, some good advice related to finances. But this is some really good advice. Give first, save second, and live on the rest. And it's now time not to just hear that advice, but to do it. To receive the blessing of living out this principle of giving and saving and spending and living on the rest. Because if we do, we'll experience that joy. We'll experience that peace that God wants us to have as we live with the Benjamins. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we all want? This joy, this peace, this understanding of how to utilize God's resources. Well, it's not a formula. It's not just, hey, I'm just going to give 10%. I just say, pick any percent. Could be five, could be two, could be 25. Pick any percent that you want to return back to the Lord as a way of expressing your trust in Him. But just ask yourself the question, can I do it cheerfully? Is this generous? And is that time sacrificial? And then you'll know that you're in the right percentage as you return to Him what is rightfully his. Give. And then say. And then live on the rest. Can you imagine that impact that that would have on future generations? If our children and our children's children saw how we utilize God's resources well. Acknowledging that he is the owner of everything. And that we, we own nothing. We're simply managers of his resources. And we just want to manage it his way. Can you imagine the impact that would have on our church? And our community? And the world? If we lived out some of these basic principles found in the scriptures, but it's really a choice. Do I trust God or do I trust myself? Because if you trust God and you return to him, he's going to provide for your needs. But if you don't, then you're going to trust yourself to provide your own needs. See, in a minute, we're going to take the offering. And the offering is just a way to express our trust in our Heavenly Father to provide for our needs. But, but my homework assignment for you this morning is not just to, to think about this, but to really pray over this giving commitment. To think about how you might respond to God's word. How, have a conversation with your spouse or with your family members to talk about what God says. And if you could respond in a similar way as our leaders, to give generously, sacrificially, and, and cheerfully to the Lord. Because that's what God has for us in his word. That's how we can live at peace with the Benjamins. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we are so thankful for your word and the multiple principles found in it. And we thank you for the truth that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And then we move towards you in any area of our lives, we open up the door for you to work in our finances, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces. And so this morning, God, I just ask that you would do what only you can do. That you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us and align us with your word to give freely, generously, to participate more fully in your work in the world and save and live. And to live the kind of life full of peace and joy because of you, because of the cross, because of the life we have in Christ. Thank you for making the first move, God. Thank you for making the first move by sending your son. Do that continued work in us to respond in worship and obedience, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.